Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Joining us here on the phone, Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the U of C at the University of Calgary. Uh, Dr. Jenny, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for doing this. Man, I've got a lot of questions, and we don't have a ton of time, uh, but we'll get to as many here as we can. Um, So uh, nine more deaths today, 320 cases. The case count continues to be high, not 800 or 900 or 1,000 like it could have been, if not for the restrictions that are in place right now. How would you, and we saw the modeling, we heard about some of the modeling, how would you uh, describe the situation that we find ourselves in right now here in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba? So I think it, it is fair to say that it's still a critical situation. Uh, you know, there's, there's way too many cases per day, uh, and the healthcare system is just going to struggle to be able to deal with this. Um, the good news, if there is any good news, is a week ago, a little more than a week ago, those were 500 cases a day. So at least that curve is not still growing exponentially. It, it, it appears to have begun to plateau, maybe come down a little bit. And what I, what I see in that is it is saying these restrictions, I, I fully understand that they're very severe. That they're, nobody wants them, but they're working. And I think Manitobans have to really try and find comfort in that, that that sacrifice has stopped the growth of the curve. Julie just texted in a question, a great listener question here, and it was one that we were uh, tossing around in our news meeting this morning. Julie says, just wondering if no one is going out, retail shopping is closed, where are all these numbers coming from? Is it mainly the personal care homes? Uh, There's no place to gather. Uh, Enforcement is high. Why are Winnipeg's numbers so high? Can you explain that or help, Julie? Because that's I have the same question. Where, Where where? Is it just because we reached a point of community um, transmission and and this is sort of our new reality? Yeah, right now it is. The number of cases in the community are so high that uh, that we're introducing virus into basically many households, and then you get spread within the household, so you don't have to go out in the community for those new cases to show up. But even essential services, even going out to get medication – there's enough cases in the community now, even with masks, even with the best of physical distancing, there's still going to be transmission of the virus. And that's simply because there's so much around you at the moment. I talked about uh, Premier Pallister's comments yesterday on my show. Um, they've gone viral all around the world, um, you know, calling non-believers in COVID-19 idiots. He likened himself to the Grinch, or the man who's stealing Christmas because he's, you know, and People maybe don't like him right now, but hopefully one day they'll respect him for telling them what they need to hear. And then Dr. Rusin with the modeling today. Is this kind of um, the province's last shot at maybe salvaging some kind of a Christmas, or is Christmas already gone? Yeah, I I don't want to be the the Grinch, but, you know, Christmas, no matter what, is not going to look normal. I do think that Manitoba has a better shot at some Christmas than, let's say, Alberta. We have not yet seen our curve slow, and and that is really disturbing here. But, you know, no matter what happens, we know at the rate these curves go down, the virus cases go down, the burden on the healthcare system, Christmas is not going to be normal. The the hope is that something can still be salvaged. What that will look like, I I think you guys will find out next Friday when the the next update is, is released. 
but yeah, it will not be normal. It cannot be normal. And we'll find out, as you point out, in a week. Uh, Dr. Rusin was asked specifically about that, and he said those are the discussions they're in now. Nothing has been uh, finalized. Uh, I hope, because I, I, as I say many times here on the show, I have a real entrepreneurial spirit. I think there are some adjustments that can happen to help people try and survive. Some of our business people out there survive. I think some adjust, adjustments can be made uh, without sacrificing public safety. But whatever happens a week from today, it's going to continue to be very tough, isn't it? I think so, and I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. We want to see adjustments. We want to see uh, protection of business to the best of our ability without sacrificing the the, the public health. What is clear is that I think people have to have a realistic expectation that once a a severe lockdown is done, cases start to drop, it cannot be just reopening business as usual. There has to be a transition to keep those cases going down, we know that if everything simply reopens, the cases will immediately spike back up again. So need to find that working balance that things can slowly resume, slowly reopen with some limits, and then you'll be able to keep the cases at a manageable level. As you know, uh, the first wave here in Winnipeg and Manitoba was better than expected. Wave two is worse than expected, and these vaccines are right there. They're so close. I sometimes worry that those vaccines being so close might get people feeling complacent again. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, We have to use them as as encouragement that what we are doing is worth it. The fewer cases now means the fewer people in intensive care means the fewer of, of our neighbors we lose before the vaccines can be deployed. The vaccines are also not an instantaneous fix, right? It will be months to deploy them into enough people. It will be months before people get that second shot. It's coming. It is coming faster, and it is closer on the horizon than I think most scientists expected without sacrificing the safety data. But it is still not an instantaneous problem solve. Craig, thank you very much for your time today. Today was an important day. We had to have somebody like you, and we're lucky to have somebody like you to talk with us about these numbers and this modeling. Thank you. Take care, Hal. Couriers have been so busy, I've been trying for a few days now to get one on to talk with me. They're all too busy. Penny Cuerco at Selkirk Courier uh, got a hold of me yesterday when I was talking about not being able to find a courier. Penny, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Excellent. Thanks a lot for, for jumping on here. How busy are you? It's three words, insane, stressful, and overwhelming. It's just insanely busy. The numbers are ridiculous. I'm doing... Um, we have our own courier company, and then we also do contracts for one of the big ones. And right now I'm running at about 90 to 100 packages a day just for them in one vehicle. So it's, it's, the numbers are crazy. And what would you do before, like compare before to now? You know what? Uh, they only call us when they're swamped, and, you know, usually it's, it's, you know, it's Christmas time and we would be doing about 80, but the number of drivers that are doing that many is overwhelming. There's so many drivers. Like they're doing like 13,000 in a day. And it's because everybody's shopping online, right? They're doing what they're supposed to do, uh, yeah. uh, delivery. And uh, because of that, you are, as you said, swamped. Oh, really swamped, yeah. And, you know, it's a lot of Amazon, a lot of, a lot of gifts. That's what it is, a lot of gifts. You know, and, we're, and, do, we're, and, do you, and, and do you suspect that it's going to get worse as we get closer to Christmas? 
Oh yeah, I don't think we've got hit with the Black Friday stuff yet. So it's it's insane. I'm working six days a week. Our drivers are all swamped. It's it's really crazy. I and was you talking try to get to... any. Go ahead. You can't get finish. Drivers. It's it's really hard to get drivers right now. So because they're all you know they're all on CERB or they're all on that new CERB or whatever they're on. But it's hard to get anybody to work. I'm hiring um, bartenders, waitresses, stuff like that. You know, so that they can get through while they're closed down. So that's kind of where we're standing right now. Mm-hmm. I did talk to one uh, courier who did not want to come on the air, new guy, and he says he hasn't been in business that long, but he says he's seeing an increase in his business tenfold. Oh, for sure. For sure it's that busy. It's like these big ones, like, you know, like Perlator, UPS, and that the amount of freight that they're moving is it's astronomical. It's like twice as much as it would be at a normal Christmas. Wow. Hey, Penny, I'll let you get back to work. I know how busy I now know how busy you are. I'll let you get back to work. I really appreciate right. your time today. Thanks, and make sure you're walking on that treadmill. <laughs> you know what Penny said yesterday? My damn now famous treadmill. Penny says, I'll talk to you, but only if you're on your treadmill. So I'm, I'm not on my treadmill. I appreciate you talking to me. Thanks, Penny. No problem. Stay safe. <laughs> Joining us now is Lori Sherquetti, President and CEO of the Simpkin Center. Lori, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having Lori, me on your show. Well, thank you for coming on. I got to tell you, I was watching Lisa Dutton last night on, on Global News Television, as I do every night at 6 o'clock, and I got a tear in my eye watching you and the story. Explain to people what you guys are doing at at Simkin with these COVID survivor parades. I love this idea. So, uh, unfortunately, we do have uh, residents that have COVID here at the centre. So, when we have someone that has recovered and is moving back to their home unit, it is an absolute celebration for all of the staff, the residents, and, and the families and the community, really. So, what we do is um, every resident that leaves our uh, COVID isolation unit, we have a parade for them. Uh, they get a virus survivor T-shirt and um, the parade, as I mentioned, and the song Staying Alive by the Bee Gees is playing in the background, and they're being cheered on by staff, and it's just such a morale booster for everyone. It brings the staff and families and other residents so much joy. It gives us a sense of hope. Um, It's just been a really awesome way to celebrate our residents and their recovery. I can tell. It it came through the TV screen when I when I watched last night. Um and uh you know you've all got your masks on, the music's blaring, you've got signs and they're coming, you know, in most cases uh, in a wheelchair uh, down the hall and they've survived and they've got their t-shirt on and they have survived this deadly virus and and that's uh, what i wanted to ask you about uh, what it does for morale because it it again is something that isn't that big a deal but boy i'll bet you it's a big deal at simpkin center it is an absolute big deal it increases the staff morale um and you know staff will say this is what gets us through the day is when we're able to have these parades and celebrate recovery in our residents yeah you know, I talked to my mom. My mom's at a, in a home in southern Alberta, and, I, and my sister's there. And, and I talked to my mom, and, and she's always asking about, you know, how are things here? Because she's lucky to be in a home where there have been no cases. 
Um, and I tell her, and I can I can hear the fear in her voice because you know she's in her eighties. Explain to me what it's like for these residents to have this virus around them, then to get it. Um, what that must be like for them, and then to survive it. I mean, what an ordeal. I think there is fear. Um, A lot of our residents have been very isolated over the last eight or nine months because of the virus, so there's also that to deal with. Um, You kind of never know who's going to be next, so I'm sure that's very hard. Uh, And I I think when they do survive it, it is a great sense of of pride and joy for them as well. One of the ladies that uh, left our COVID room yesterday is 102 years old. Wow. Fantastic. God bless her. That's fantastic. Just a great story, Lori. Keep it up. I think it's wonderful. Thank you very much. We're very proud of our parades. You should be. Lori Shirwecki, uh, she is the president and CEO at Simpkins Centre. You know, so much sadness, so much bad news has, has come from these uh, homes that I was just, I, I was almost moved to tears. I certainly got choked up last night watching uh, Lisa Dutton talk about it. Just fantastic uh, seeing these uh, people. You know, imagine being into your hundreds and, and getting sick with this virus and seeing others die and then survive uh, that and um, and then have a, a parade and, and celebrate. Fantastic. Love that story. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here now, drcyrus.com, D-R-S-Y-R-A-S.com. Cyrus, hello. Hello, Hal. How are you? What a beautiful day outside. You know, I was thinking uh, during the news there, well, Skyler was reading the news, and I was looking outside, and I'm going, oh, man, I can't wait to kind of stick my nose out a little later on, you know, take the dog out, get 10 or 15 minutes outside. It really does. It, it, tell me what you think. I think... And I know some people out there want snow and they want to get the sleds going, and I get it. I understand there are fans of winter. But I see a day like this, and the weekend's looking similar to this. And I think, you know what, we're December 4th. Every day like this takes a day off what will be a long, dark winter. (laughs) There's nothing psychologically like a nice, positive surprise. And uh, so this is in that category and hopefully it is a little bit of a kind of smile uh, for Manitobans as we kind of enter into a season where it's going to be hard lining up outside or things like that. And, uh, yeah, so I'm I'm excited too, Hal, and I think a lot of Manitobans are. You know, we have, again today, uh, upsetting numbers. Uh, every Friday when you come on, Cyrus, I sort of begin our conversation by asking you to help us deal with some of the numbers and being stuck at home and not being able to live our lives uh, the way we want to live them. Uh, with Christmas coming up now and, you know, these restrictions either being extended or loosening them in a week or so, there's a lot on the line here. And, and we've had months and months of this. I mean, people are stressed. I, I, I don't know how much more we can take, to be honest with you. You know, this is uh, just really troubling, and uh, I think that what I'm seeing at the clinic is, I mean, when we were kind of going into things in spring, there was a lot of shock and anxiety, and now what I'm starting to see is more loneliness and depression, and people are feeling more beaten down, people are feeling more uh, alone and isolated, and one of the things that I've actually been thinking about lately is 
if this extends into 2021, I think people have uh, kind of had, you know, like this year, you know, it's going to be this year, next year will be better. And people maybe think of, you know, school years versus calendar years and things like that. But a lot of people, I think it's going to be hard to get past the holidays or to go through the holidays with this for one. And then the next is to have it kind of potentially continue into 2021. And oftentimes people in prison or things like this will have hopes, even unsaid hopes, like unverbalized hopes inside of themselves that this will be better next year. And when that doesn't happen, when they don't get out of prison or whatever, there can be this extra level of like, oh my goodness, we're in the next year. And so when we get past these markers in our lives, these, you know, a birthday or an anniversary or a cal- or new year and things haven't changed, um, that can be really hard on people. And so that's a little bit of what I'm thinking about right now is just kind of what's going to happen if we go into 2021 and people are like, oh, we got the vaccine. And then it's like, oh, it's going to take longer for all of us to get it. And this is continuing on now for more months. Yeah. You know, you mentioned markers. Christmas is certainly a marker. And I, I was writing about this uh, last weekend in one of my son columns. And I said it's sort of a deficit, a hope deficit, a deficit of hope. Mm-hmm. And Christmas kind of brings us some hope, right? But then this year mm-hmm. we get close to Christmas and we can't even look to Christmas for hope because we can't get together with family and friends, and it's tough. And you talked about depression, Doc. I I mm-hmm. think, you know, what are we, nine months into this now? Uh, mm-hmm. I think in the last month or so, I feel like we are already, we've already crossed the line or we're about to cross mm-hmm. the line from stress to burnout. And, and mm-hmm. burnout is different than stress. It has long-lasting mm-hmm. uh, impacts, and, and I worry that we're at a real critical stage right now, not, not just with the virus, but mentally yep. as well. Well, for sure. I mean, you hear about people who, you know, from previous, you know, global or national crises kind of have changed mentalities. These are the kinds of events and situations that change the psychology of a country, never mind now maybe the world. And so uh, we, we are talking about the shaping of a generation and how people see the world, how people see resource, how, you know, the risks that people, you know, expect in the future, the, the feeling of security that they have in their lives and trust and the feeling of trust in the world and whether things are going to be okay. I mean, one of the primary symptoms of PTSD, of, you know, after people have had trauma, is a lack of trust in the world. And when you lose that, you start to have real symptoms of, you know, People not wanting to take risks. I mean, from the Great Depression, you have people being very careful with their money and sometimes hoarding food. You know, you have these, uh, what I still hear about from people talking about their grandparents and things like this. And uh, these are the kinds of events. This We're in it right now. And if this extends, it's more likely to have that kind of impact on, you know, in a general way on a generation. Mm-hmm. I appreciate, Doc, I really do appreciate that you're uh, cool with riffing with me on some of this stuff because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I'm, I'm just, we, we, we plan things that we're going to talk about, but then sometimes <laughs> things pop up and you're always really good about just taking my questions or my thoughts and, and expanding on them, and so I appreciate that. So let's get to the first headline here, and it kind of relates to the pandemic. Well, it does relate to the pandemic and kind of relates to what we were talking about. The headline says, Blaming the Pandemic could help your relationship now um i'm not sure about this um where where you're going to go with this 
But I was telling somebody the other day that while Jackie and I, in our relationship, our marriage early on, I think we both felt stressed with the pandemic and being stuck at home and maybe spending more time together than normal. But at some point, it kind of it kind of spun around, and now I feel like we're a team and we're we're going to get it together. Mm. Well, that's good. I mean, I, well, this is like the research is actually starting to come out now. I mean, we've had kind of some statistics on, you know, like how many divorces, and I don't have that number with me right now, but like how many divorces are happening. And, you know, people have been speculating a lot about how this is impacting relationships. And here we're actually starting to see some research. So that's kind of so interesting. Uh, well, it's sad how long the pandemic's taking that we're actually getting research like this during mm-hmm. it on the pandemic. Uh, but it's exciting to kind of see like what's really happening during this and what they found was that and this is a general finding is that when people um make external attributions for relationship problems it helps their relationship so if you're if you're in a negative relationship but it's it's not your partner's fault it's it's uh somebody else it's their boss you know it's it's the depression it's something it's something that's not really the character of your partner that's causing this depression problem or, or sorry, or causing the relationship problem, then that is good for your relationship. Cause then it's like, well, it's, I, I have a good partner. We're just in a bad time. And that happens with these catastrophic events. So when people were going through this, they found that the relationships didn't really get worse. I mean, the good relationships were still good. The bad relationships were still bad. And people were starting to make these, what we call attributions. They were saying it's because of COVID that we're struggling. So that actually was protective for relationships. And so that was, it's really neat. It's like maybe this COVID thing didn't really impact relationships as much as we had maybe initially expected it would. Now, the researchers then said something that I thought was really interesting. And they said, catastrophic stress and very mild stress aren't as bad on relationships. Because when it's catastrophic, it's very noticeable. And it's like, this isn't real. Like, this isn't really my partner. It's because you know, their, their mother died. That's why they're behaving mm. this way, you know, and, or something right. like that. So we, we kind of give our partner a break, which are in catastrophic, noticeable events. However, the real danger for relationships is moderately stressful events. They're not mild. They're not catastrophic. They're in the middle. And when they're in the middle, we often don't give them the credit that they're due. So it's like this happened, but that's not enough to explain my partner being a jerk. So my partner's a jerk, you know, and I'm going to end my Mm. relationship with them. So these moderately stressful things, and what they were saying is potentially COVID could shift into a moderately stressful event. In the beginning, it was catastrophic. It's like, oh, my goodness, nobody knows what to do with this. But as it extends, people might be like, you know what? My partner should have gotten over this whole COVID thing. Everybody's got to deal with this. It's actually Mm. my partner. And that's maybe something that, could happen they didn't find that it's going to happen they're just speculating but what we so that's why the title you want to blame covid you don't want to blame your partner and as it Mm -hmm. becomes less obvious we want to keep being a team like like you had said like it's us against covid Uh, so keep that mentality yeah uh one more here and then we'll take a break and check the weather music achievements academic perks hold up under scrutiny um, well, people have long talked about, you know, how people who are, you know, taught music do better at reading and math. And, you know, but it's always just a relationship where we're not sure. It's like, well, maybe, you know, the people who put more into education are also putting more into music. And so it's not music that's actually causing this. It's just kind of all the people who have more advantages in their education also get music lessons. So that's why we're finding 
that people who take music are doing better in reading and math. They're just people who have all the advantages. So what these people were, they were very skeptical, these researchers, and what they did was they measured all of these different things, and they tried to kind of account for them. So they were saying, well, is this relationship there even for people who, you know, don't have as much money or, or different things like this? They took all these other variables that it could explain why music and reading and math are seem to go together. And what they found was that even when they accounted for all these other factors, music, reading, and math still had this strong correlation. Like people, this relationship, people who do music classes seem to do better with reading and math. Now, they couldn't, hmm. like, they couldn't actually say it's a causal relationship, but it's getting more likely that it's actually music that's causing people to do better with reading and math. And I like the theory. It's like you learn to read notes on a page. You learn to read words on a page. Like there is some similarity. There's logical problems and you have to figure out there's logical problems in math. And so it's kind of coming at potentially there's a general way that we read and do math and music is another way of developing that part of our brain. So basically this is saying, go with it. You know, like if you can, if you have the resources, um, it's probably a good idea to help your child in reading and math by also including music. And it could actually be something that benefits them. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.